Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, Class of 2010 alumna and Director of Alumni Communication and Digital Engagement here at Seton Hall. Each month, I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to talk about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall has played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. Joining us this month is John Garcia, student and basketball player at Seton Hall from 2005 to 2010. John, who goes by Johnny, shares with us his experience growing up both in the U.S. and in the Dominican Republic. He also talks about his years as a player at Seton Hall, including some of the challenges he faced with being redshirted, experiencing multiple injuries, and a coaching change. The one thing that will always stand out to him through it all the feeling of being home when he was on campus, and the endless support he felt from the university community. Let's dive into this interview. Johnny, thank you so much for joining us on the Pirate's Eye podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today. Hey, Bianca, long time no speak, long time no see. (laughs) <laughs> back when we was young whippersnappers at Seton Hall <laughs> trying to figure out a way in the world now we're just semi-middle-aged whippersnappers <laughs> semi-figuring out our way in the world <laughs> that's, that's right it's like we go way back but also not not too far back like it hasn't been that long <laughs> I mean it feels like it was just yesterday but if you look it's, it's crazy that it's really been 10 years That's right. So I'd like to give our listeners some context. Um, As we record this chat, Seton Hall is in the midst of celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. And I actually sit on that planning committee. And as the committee chatted about how to best tap into all of our tools to celebrate the month, I said it would be a great idea to use this episode of the show to do that. And my colleague over in athletics, Roberto Sasso, then recommended you as a potential guest. Yeah, I'm honored about that. That's <laughs> yeah, um, I'm happy to have you on the show. And as you just alluded to, we actually attended Seton Hall together. So we go yeah. way back. <laughs> way too far. No, not, not that back. It's not, not that, that far, far back. back. <laughs> far as far back as my hairline has gotten since, since <laughs> I graduated. <laughs> and you're actually a former basketball player. I haven't had previous players on the show yet. Mm. So this was a perfect fit. Yeah, that worked out. <laughs> so we, we spoke a couple of days ago um, just to do a quick pre-chat uh, b- before this episode. And one of the questions mm-hmm. I asked you is about your name preference. And you shared with me this <laughs> great story about how your name is actually Johnny, not John, yeah. as we yeah. all know you to be. Um, yeah. So can you share a little bit of the background on your name? It's funny because when, when you're growing up, you, you become insecure about like such dumb things like little things and one common thing i've seen is, is names like like your name like people who have like hispanic names or you know what i mean you have certain names like for me you know my name has always been johnny and but if you if you say it in spanish it's johnny right johnny that's the way you, you know it was, it's pronounced right. i'm named after my father you know my father's name is johnny and um the funny thing about that is that you know i never liked johnny 
because I, I always looked at it like that's supposed to be like that's like a small person's name you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people who don't know me I'm six eight you know 260 pounds right. like man, I don't look like a Johnny you know what I mean like I look I like a John you know strong you know what I'm saying strong rough John right <laughs> But the funny thing about it is that I actually ended up, you know, if, if you really consider it, I was named after uh, the famous merenguero, Johnny Ventura, because that's who my father was named after. He was named after Johnny Ventura. So I was, I, you know, by extension, I'm named after Johnny Ventura as well. And, you know, I always get a kick out of that because uh, <laughs> when I got to Seton Hall, you know, it became, you know, they ask you like your first uh, when you first get there, like what, what name are they going to use, you know, for media, for, you know, what they're going to put in the media guide and they make, you know, put, put the name that you want to put. And, you know, that's when I kind of switched and I put, you know, I'm going to put John, John's going to be my name. Right. And um, yeah, that's how I ended up just being known as John Garcia. But what, the funny thing is since I got out of scene hall and I kind of got back more in touch with my, you know, my Hispanic roots, like I started liking Johnny more and, and now I go by Johnny. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it worked out. I love that story because when you shared it with me, you you mentioned Johnny Ventura, who yeah. I am familiar with. And for yeah, for those, yeah, for those who don't know, you mentioned he's he is a Dominican merengue singer. Talk about celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month and kicking off this conversation uh, with yeah. someone who's named after a very well known Dominican artist. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> pretty dope. Now, before we dive into your Seton Hall story, I want to talk a little bit more about your connection to your Dominican heritage. It is yeah. more than just your name. You actually yeah. moved out there for a bit as a child. So tell me a little bit about that experience. How did that shape you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I always think about, you know, my, my childhood experience and, and how it's, you know, it's shaped the way I think, it's shaped the way I view the world. Um, I've had I've had a pretty interesting experience because I I kind of had best of both worlds in a way because I, I I saw what the American experience was like and I also got I was privileged enough to see what the Dominican experience was like what, what living in Dominican Republic was like when I was a child I mean I was born here in America I was born in Queens Jamaica Hospital and then um, I think at the age of three we moved uh, we moved to the Dominican Republic for like a year or two so when I was a little kid and then we moved back when I was five. And uh, that's when we moved to Long Island. And uh, I stayed in Long Island. I did like, you know, Head Start, you know, elementary school, my fir first grade in Long Island. And then second grade, we actually ended up moving back to the Dominican Republic. We moved to San Pedro de Macorís. San Pedro de Macorís is a town that's known for producing shortstops. You know, it's like Tony Fernandez, a lot, of, a lot of great shortstops, Fernando Tatis, a lot of great shortstops are coming out of that town. Uh, and that was the town where my, my parents grew up. And uh, we moved down there, so I actually ended up doing second, third, and fourth grade in the Dominican Republic. And, uh, you know, talk about something that, that shapes you, you know what I mean? Because you grew up pretty much in a... I was lucky that my, my grandparents, you know, where we were living, they had a house. But, uh, like, almost all third world countries, there's always that discrepancy. You know, there's people that have, and there's people that have nothing, you know? And right. we grew up, or where I grew up, is right next to what we call a calle home. It's like a, it's kind of like a, a block, but it's mostly like houses that are like shanty towns. You know what I mean? It's like right. almost people like just create those houses. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, there's no, you know, it's not paved roads or anything like that. Right. And um, we lived right next to that, to that block. And my best friend actually growing up at that time was the kid, you know, that lived in that block, you know, a poor kid. And I always, I always try to tell people about him. For those three years that I knew him, he wore the same outfit every day. For, for for those three years that I know, him. he wore uh, 
these uh, tan jean shorts, barefoot, no okay. shirt, just those tan jean shorts. And he wore it every day for those three years. The only days that I saw him wear something different was on Christmas and on Easter, which, as you know, you know, for Hispanics, those are pretty big, you know, pretty big holidays. Definitely. Uh, those are the only times that I saw him wear something different. He wore a dress shirt, oversized dress shirt, and some oversized dress shoes. That you know, those are the only time I ever saw. But the same pants, though, the same tan jean shorts. And um, when I when I tell you that it, it shaped the way I look, I look at the world. When I see people who you know bust their butts for 20, 30 years at a job and end up with nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you come to America with a greater appreciation of what, what America has and what most Americans have. Uh, the privilege to be an American, the privilege to live in America, a place that if you work hard, you can, you know, lift yourself out of poverty. You can create a future for your family. I saw both sides of that coin. You know, I saw uh, America where you're here and you have to work 40-hour jobs, sometimes two or three jobs, you know, just to take care of your family. And you will have, you know, advancement in your life. But at the same time, it takes away from enjoyment of, of life. You know what I mean? You're away from your family. You're working every day. And in the Dominican Republic, you see people who are poor who don't have anything, but always have a smile on their face, always have great spirit always speak to you, always, always, you know, you have that sense of community. And uh, I always, you know, it kind of shaped my life in a way where I, I looked at the world where, you know, I didn't, I didn't really care too much for materialistic things. I didn't really care for having much. You know, I care more for the content of people's characters and content of people's souls, you know. It really has shaped the way I view the world. And I was blessed. I and mean, I, I tell my parents all the time, I, you know, I was so lucky that, you know, even though obviously we were moving, we moved down there because, you know, we were poor and we were trying to, you know, find find a way to create a life for ourselves. I, I always thanked them for showing me that that part of my experience and showing me that part of, of life where I, I kind of got to have that perspective, which in turn, like, made me appreciate living in America a lot more, you know? Right. I love that story. I love the perspective that you feel like you gained from that. And yes. that's a unique way to look at it. It could have been flipped. You could have looked at it as a negative experience. But I really love the positive outlook that you have on that experience and the way that it shaped you long term as an individual. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's just whenever whenever I think about, you know, hardship or, you know, people, we all go through different hardships. I mean, no one's you know, we're not going to talk about, you know, like the hardship Olympics or anything like that. No one's trying to win the award for having a, you know, rough life or anything like that. But I always think about, I always think about that, you know what I mean? Because just having that perspective, you know, when you think I'm, when I think I'm going through a rough time, I think about like, yo, you're not, you're not going through, through anything. I kind of try to live my life. Uh, there's this saying, I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've heard it. Um, they say, um, well, the man with no shoes, he, he thought he had a bad until he meant the man with no feet, you know? Right. So right. that's kind of the way I look at life. You know, things can always be worse. Uh, right. I'm blessed. I'm here. You know, my, my, my life, uh, you know, has had some hardships just like everybody else. But as long as you're breathing and you're kicking and, you know, you have a positive outlook on life and you keep moving forward, I think, uh, you know, you can always advance and, and create a good future for yourself. You know? Absolutely. Now, some of those hardships for you happened at Seton Hall, and we're going to get into that. But first, let's let's talk a little bit before Seton Hall and the mm -hmm. road that got you to the university. Eventually, you moved to Brentwood, Long Island. 
yes. where you casually pick up basketball. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, you know, being being Dominican, you know, it's kind of like stamped on us from the beginning. I mean, they they put a glove in our you know in our you know in our playpen. And I, my father was a big baseball player. He actually was was actually very very talented. He actually uh, grew up playing with um Tony Fernandez. He knew Tony Fernandez, uh, uh, who you know was was a great player in, in the majors. And um, he he loved baseball. Obviously, um, he loved basketball as well. But baseball was always his first love. And uh, of course, they tried to push me in that direction. When we moved back to Brentwood, um, we were lucky enough that you know my aunt, my mom's older sister, she um she was a teacher, and they had moved from the city from Queens, and they had just they had just bought a house in Brentwood, and um they had a basement for us, so like you know a nice little two room basement downstairs, and uh, we were blessed enough that we were able to move into that house, and you know talk about another culture shock, you go from you know living in a third world country or living in, you know, a poor area in, uh, in Jersey, which we lived in for, for like a year, uh, to moving to the suburbs, you know, to having a backyard and having a basketball court. Right. And that's where I was introduced to basketball. I was lucky. I had two older cousins and um, those three on threes in the backyard, two on twos in the backyard, you know, me getting my butt kicked and they were older <laughs> than me, shaped, you know what I mean? Shaped me and, 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 drove back in competitive spirit. But I was playing baseball at the same time as well. I was, I was a decent baseball player too. Um, I was a pitcher. Uh, you can believe that. Uh, <laughs> at all the uh, all the youth leagues, my mom made sure to bring uh, to bring the birth certificate along just in case, you know, <laughs> people were complaining. <laughs> we used to get that a lot. <laughs> How old is that at kid? An early age? I've been tall my whole life. There's never oh, wow. been a time where I wasn't the tallest kid in class, which, oh, wow. which is kind of strange. If you because if you look at my family, we really don't have like before me. There was really nobody above six feet. Um, my mom is about you know she's kind of tall for a woman. She's about five seven, you know five eight. Oh, my dad is average. She's about five ten. But then you look at my grandparents on my dad's side. I mean they're really short. And then my grandparents on my mom's side. I mean they're short as well. Really, there's no, there's no, I really don't get it. I do remember that there's this milkman that used to come around. He was pretty oh, tall. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell your mom. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm ready to have that conversation with my mom yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've always been, I've always been the tallest guy in class. It was something that, you know, you, what happens is you grow up and you're, you're, you, you're tall for your age, right? And then, then it becomes a point where you're tall for life, <laughs> you know, for like a human being. And then that, that didn't hit me till like seventh or eighth grade when I was like six, two, when I was like, Oh wait, like I'm, I'm like, I'm not tall anymore. Like just for my, for my age, like people were looking at me as a 12 year old thinking that I'm, that I'm older, you know what I mean? Right. That I'm 15 or 16. Right. And, you know, so I used to get, I used to get that all the time, you know, that I was a ringer and, you know, every, all my basketball tournaments and I always made sure my parents, you know, they got uh, blessed and they'd always bring, uh, they always bring a copy of my birth certificate just in case. So yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, the background. Like I I got introduced to basketball because I was lucky enough to to, to live in, in Brentwood, which was a suburb, which means we had a backyard, which means we had a uh, you know lucky enough we had a basketball court. After my ninth grade season, I you know I, I got a couple scholarship offers from you know local schools like Hofstra, and, you know New York schools, Buffalo. 
Stony Brook. And um, I was like, well, wow, I guess I guess I'm going to college for free. So maybe I should take this serious. <laughs> so that's kind of like when I started, you know, getting a little bit better and, and taking basketball you know, a little bit more serious. And then how did you end up at Seton Hall? How was Seton, Seton Hall, Hall the, the choice? Yeah, Seton Hall, it was it was it was amazing because going into my my junior year, I was kind of like I was kind of like a hidden gem. I was like people didn't really know about me nationally, but schools from that were local, you know, like uh, St. John's, Providence, Rutgers, Seton Hall being one of them, they they knew about me, so they they kind of got in early. And uh, I was getting recruited at the time by uh, Brian Nash. Brian Nash was the was the assistant coach, and at the time, Lewis Orr was the head coach. So uh, they started recruiting me, and they were recruiting me before people really knew about me like that. So it, it, it's kind of funny that after my, my the summer of my junior year, when I when I kind of blew up nationally, where I went to the ABCD camp, and I did I did which is one of the top camps in the, in the country, and I did really well there. You know, all of a sudden I started getting calls from schools like Kentucky, you know, uh, UConn, who had just won a national championship, and, you know, going over. All these other schools started, call, you know, calling. But Seen Hall was always there, you know. They were always there. There were a school at the, at the beginning. I kind of wasn't thinking that I was going to go to Seen Hall. Like, I, I wasn't, they weren't really in my, like, in, a, in, in the school that I, I had envisioned, envisioned that I was going to. But it got to a point where I, I kind of felt, I know I wanted to play in the Big East. When, okay. which at the time was probably the best conference in America. Right. And I know I, I didn't want to go too far from home. I wanted to be far, but not, not you know, not far enough. Okay. Um, so, you know, Seen Hall ended up being one of my top five choices at the, you know, the other end. Seen Hall, Villanova, Connecticut, Pittsburgh, and St. John's were my, one of my top five schools at the end. And um, I remember Coach Orr came uh, to, to visit one time. Uh, and his, you know, the way he was, the way he carried himself, as a person, it, he just felt like like a father figure. He felt like somebody that I could trust. You know, the rest of the coaches, they kind of felt like you know they were just they're just trying to sell me a bill of goods. You know, they're just yeah. trying to do whatever they got to do to get me to come to their school. Right. Couture was very personable. He just he just felt like somebody I could trust. You know, right. and um, when I went to campus and and I you know I went as soon as I walked in and I kind of I kind of felt the environment. You know, you know, seeing you know how Seton Hall is. It's it's very it's like a home, like it feels yeah. like your home. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel yeah. like you're at school. It feels like your home. Right. It always has that sense of community that that I love. You know, and I, and I felt home when I, when I got there. I just felt home. I felt comfortable. And if I said, you know what, this this is the school for me, and it was a tough decision, but it ended up being the best. You know, it's funny they tell you it's the, it's the, up to that point in your life, it's the biggest decision of your life. Right. And um, that's it's, it's correct because it ended up, you know, people who. I would have probably never met if I would have went to another school and they end up becoming your best friends and people that, yeah. you know, you care about deeply. And you know how it is. We still, we still have a lot of those old friends from back in the day and Absolutely. You know, the people that I care about deeply. And, and I, don't, I can't really say that about, about most people. Now, when you first get to Seton Hall, although you felt that community and that sense of belonging early on, <sighs> you still also experienced a little bit of culture shock. Yes. So yes. what was that like and what were some of the organizations or communities within Seton Hall that helped make that transition smoother for you? When you first think about going to college, there's always that you know stereotypical view of what you know what college is. So I come I come from you know from Brentwood, Long Island, which is, you know, actually one of the probably one of the most uh, you know diverse communities on, on Long Island. Right. Uh, it's a place that has, you know, a lot of Hispanic people, a lot of African American people, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, 
Middle Eastern people, Asian, you know, this is, this is a diverse community. So when you're thinking about, you know, going to a college, um, being from, you know, being from where I'm from, you think of it as like a community where it's going to be mostly, you know, mostly, you know, Caucasian people that aren't, you know, people that I didn't really go to school with. Right. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, I mean, I guess, you know, this is going to be new. This is going to be something that, you know, I'm going to have to just get used to and just, you know, it's, it's going to be a new experience. I wasn't, you know, afraid of it, but there was, there is that the hesitance to maybe be yourself a little, or maybe, you know, you want to, you want to feel like there's other people that maybe understand where you come from. Right. Just so you can come into your own. You know, when you're 18, you're still, you know, trying to figure yourself out as a person. You know, you're not, you haven't really come into your own. You, Definitely. you have that shyness and you have that, you know what I mean? That kind of like that insecurity. And I was always a little shy, you know, insecure. And then once, you know, when I got to see home, I was, you know, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to find people that I can maybe feel a little bit more comfortable with. And, right. Um, right. I was lucky that when I did get to scene home, I found out that we had a we had we did have a very rich and diverse community. That surprised me. I remember actually my first week there. I think one of the first uh, events I went to. I see it was not one of the first. It was the first event that I went to at scene hall. It was it was an Adelante event that they had on campus, and um, I remember going there and and looking around. I'm like, oh wait a minute, like. <laughs> Maybe, you know, colleges and, you know, what I what I thought it was going to be. Maybe, you know, there, there is actually, you know, a community that I can, you know, kind of ease myself into. And uh, I remember I met a lot of, you know, close friends and people that, I, you know, that were in Adelante that I met them there and kind of helped me when it came to my transition into, into the social life of, of, of being at Seton Hall. It was, it was a great event. I remember, you know, just feeling right at home, feeling like I was back, you know, back in Brownwood. And it just, it just made me feel a lot more comfortable and just better with being myself. I love that. I love that yeah. because I can identify with it. I also was in Adelante. And yeah. I think it's something that the Seton Hall community, the alumni that I speak to, that echoes across generations is Seton Hall is a home and it has a sense of community, even if it's these kind of smaller communities within the larger Seton Hall community. Yes. It's an, a sentiment that gets echoed across the board. So I love that yeah. it rings true for you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now your basketball career that we want to get into for sure at Seton Hall was interesting in so many ways and frankly, yeah. probably difficult in some ways as well. You suffered injuries. You experienced a coaching change. Talk to me about your experience as a player overall. Well, overall, I mean, you know, in terms of basketball, it ended up being the pinnacle of, of my life when it came to basketball. When you're a kid growing up, we all dream about playing in the NBA. You know what I mean? That's what we all dream about. Um, me playing in the Big East Conference, uh, getting to play on ESPN, you know, national TV games, you know, that's, you know, flying private jets, you know, and stuff like that, that kind of stuff. That ended up being, you know, the highest level I got to. So I, I was, you know, no matter what the situation was I seen home in terms of our, our team success and me coming from where I came from, you know, coming and seeing how, you know, life is, you know, and how, how things are, I, I kind of, I appreciated every moment. Like I, I, I didn't take any moment when it came to basketball scene hall, I didn't take it for granted. Yeah. Like you said, I've had, I've had a pretty, I had a pretty interesting, you know, up and down career. I mean, I came in the scene hall with, a, you know, with a little bit of fanfare that people thought I was going to be a pretty big time player. Um, Unfortunately, my senior year in high school, I, you know, I had I had a knee injury, and uh, a pretty serious knee injury, and uh, you know, I was out for like eight months, and I had to do extensive rehab. 
So when I got to Seton Hall, I wasn't, you know, I was a little behind. I was, I was out of shape. I gained some weight. I ended up just uh, redshirting my freshman year. Uh, so I sat out my freshman year at Seton Hall, which unfortunately ended up being my only season that I got to play for uh, my coach, Coach Orr, who was the person that recruited me. That was the year 05, 06, 05, 06 of my freshman year. And that season, we actually had a very uh, unprecedented season. People weren't expecting us to really do much that year. Mm-hmm. And we had a big run. We had a bunch of big wins. We beat Syracuse, we beat North Carolina State, and we ended up sneaking into the NCAA tournament. Uh, we made the NCAA tournament. We lost in the first round, and Coach Orr ended up getting fired. They, uh, I guess, they wanted to go in a different direction, which, uh, which was, you know, I think was at that time, you know, I, I, I didn't like the move, obviously, because you know, I, that, that wasn't the guy that I, I came to see in Hall for. But I also think at the time it might have been. Uh, what we needed at the time, because the C, uh, uh, Big East had just expanded to 16 teams, so there was there was just really really competitive time at that time, and, and people you know kind of wanted to maybe get like a change of focus at Seton Hall, maybe become you know more of a, a recruiting hotbed and became the New York City teams. So they 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 wanted a different style of play. They wanted you know something more exciting, more fast paced. So I, I think I think it kind of I kind of worked out, but for me personally, it didn't work out because it was literally we we, we literally changed our style of play like. When I when I went to Seton Hall, it was because Coach O was a big man coach. He wanted to play half court, more of a slower type of tempo, throw the ball inside, you know, play play half court defense. And then Coach Gonzalez came in with a completely different philosophy. The guy wants to play up and down, pressing the whole game, and that's not you know that's not really something that I fit into. Okay. Um, and on top of that, coming off you know off an injury, like that's right. definitely not something I, I fit into. You know what I mean? That kind of style of play. Right. Uh, so it was it was it was kind of it was kind of a shock and um, but you know I think I think for those for those four years I think he was you know he was he was the right guy for the job at the time um, we were we were very competitive we were always a, a middle of the road bubble team a team that was one win one good win away one you know one bad loss off our resume from making the NCAA tournament yeah. uh, so we were always competitive so that that's that's one thing I always remember I seen Hall no matter what you could, you know you could say about us. In my, in my years that we were there, we were always a tough out. You know what I mean? You didn't just come to Seen Hall and just get an easy win. Like, right. we were going to make you fight. We were going to scratch and claw for everything we had. We we did kind of, you know, bring that onto the court. And that's kind of, that was my mentality as a player as well, you know? Because, you know, once I got injured and, you know, I just I just was kind of a step behind. And, I you know, unfortunately, I had bad luck. I kept getting injured, you know? I, I got injured my, my freshman year, and then I got injured again my sophomore year. Wow. And then I got injured again my junior year. So I ended up, I mean, I had three surgeries before I turned 21, you know, three wow. major surgeries in the same knee. So it's just, you know, I, I had a little bit of bad luck. It, it was tough to deal with mentally. But the one thing I always remember and that I always cherish is that even though I was going through all those personal hardships in terms of, you know, my health, the people at Seton Hall always embraced me, always supported me never never made me feel like I was a, a burden or if I was like I wasn't really you know, I was I was a disappointment. They never made me feel that way. They they just appreciated the fact that I would go out there and, you know, play as hard as I could and I tried to leave it all on the court for them. And I'll I'll always cherish those those memories. The fact that even though for me it ended up being, you know, I had a solid career I had probably not, you know, underwhelming for what I what I was hoping for, and probably for what they expected of me when I when I got to Seton Hall. But they never made me feel that way. They never made me feel like I was letting them down. They always just made me feel like they they appreciated all my efforts. 
and they would come out. And even though we were middle of the road team, they always had that passion. They would always come out and supported us. And it's just something that I'll always remember from Seton Hall, like that, that, that always stay in my heart. Because let me tell you something, when you start, when you get out of that school environment and you go play professional basketball, nobody cares. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that they don't care that you got injured, all right? Did you play, how did you do last night? How did you play last game? You know, right. once it becomes professional, there isn't that, that, that touch. And fans will turn on you in 2.5 seconds. Right. You know what I mean, you can have a great game one day, the next game play like crap, they're telling you to go, they want to send you home, you know? <laughs> At Seton Hall, there was, they were always supportive. They always showed me that love. And, you know, I, I thank them every day. And I just, you know, they, they have such a great fan base. I'm so happy, like, I'm so happy for them, the fact that after all those years, you know, suffering when I, you know, when I was there, us being on the bubble, to us now, to see what the program is now, what Coach Willard has done, the heights they've been reaching the last, you know, four or five years, I mean, they just, they deserve it. You know, our fan base deserves it. Um, and I'm just, I'm just so proud of my, my school. I've always been proud of my school, but I'm just, I'm, I'm even more proud because I know, I know the, the, the tough times that we went through and to see, to see those things pay off now, it's just, you know, it's a blessing and I'm just, I'm just so happy for our school. Definitely. Definitely. Now you also had some highlights though. So what was your all time favorite game? <laughs> you know, I, I, I go I go back and forth sometimes because the thing is, I, I always I always had good games against the the schools that, that recruited me and that recruited me pretty hard. So I always played well <laughs> against St. John's. I always played pretty well against Pitt. And you know, UConn was actually my best career game in terms of numbers. Um, you know, I had a pretty good game against UConn. But the game that I always remember, and it's for a few reasons. One, because uh, we're playing Rutgers, which of course. <laughs> It's always a huge game. You know, people who don't know, obviously anybody who's listening probably knows. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge rivalry. Obviously, our you know our neighbors to the south. Uh, you know, it's a it's always a huge rivalry. So we went to the rack, and then playing at, at Rutgers, like it's one thing to play against Rutgers and play them at the rack. It's you know one of the toughest toughest courts to play at. And um, I I had a really good game. I think it was my senior year. It might have been. So I think it was my senior year. So that was a late on nine. We played at Rutgers. And I had a double-double, and, you know, I pretty much I, I did really well that game. And we beat them on their home court, which is something that I am proud of when it came to my senior hall career. We we did have a winning record against Rutgers. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we beat their butts most of the time, more times than not. <laughs> they, they hit us with a pretty tough one my, my last year at Seton Hall, and they hit uh, JRM and hit a buzzer beater. But I think that's really the only time I think they beat us on our home court. But other than that, we, we pretty much dominated that series, so uh, – that game is, is always going to stick with me because it was, it was a, you know, a really raucous crowd. I played really well. And they give this, uh, this trophy or this, this plaque to the MVP of that game. And um, that's pretty much the only hardware I got out of my, my four years, my five years at Seton Hall, was that plaque from that game. So I, I always keep it because, it, you know, it just, it's just something that I'm, I'm always going to remember, you know, because it's like, oh, wow, that game, you know, it meant, it meant a lot. And, again, you know, the fact that my name is in – is written down somewhere, you know, as, as one of the recipients for that award. Just fills me with pride, and, and to know it was against our crosstown rivals, you know, just makes me feel makes me feel a lot better. Definitely, I'm sure that's such a fulfilling accomplishment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we started this conversation talking about your Dominican heritage and your days of living in DR, and yeah. your post Seton Hall basketball career comes full circle with those roots. Tell me about how you ended up playing basketball in, in the Dominican Republic and what that experience was like. Well, my, my last year at Seton Hall, I kind of 
you know, I, I was in a tough spot mentally because physically I was I was really deteriorating. My, my my knee problems were causing back problems. So then I was it was just, it was just a constant struggle. I was always you know going through back issues, and then anybody who's had any athlete who's had uh, issues with their back can tell you that it's it's really debilitating. And I was I was going through that my whole fifth year at Seen Hall. I ended up losing you know losing my starting spot, and I wasn't really playing much. So I was kind of in my mind, you know, I, my mindset was very like, oh, you know, you, you you get to a realization. It happens. I mean, it happens. It happened earlier than that. But every kid that goes to Seton Hall, anybody who plays uh, high level basketball, you're you're always thinking about the fact that you're going to play in the NBA. We all thought that. Like all okay. all twelve of us in that locker room thought we were going to play in the NBA. You get to a realization around your second or third year where you kind of you're looking around and you're like, wait a minute, I guess this is you know not going to happen so you start thinking about you start thinking about the future you know subconsciously you start you know thinking about you know what what your future is going to be I had no no plans of playing professional basketball that was not something I thought I was going to be able to do when I got out of scene hall um it it was crazy because it it was kind of like a lifeline like after the season ended uh in 2010 we we lost in the first round the NIT to Texas Tech uh which ended up being my last career game Mm -hmm. um it was, I think it was around March, so it was around the time, you know, NCAA tournament starts. So I'm, I'm sitting in my dorm room, and all of a sudden I get, you know, a phone call uh, from some uh, this team in Dominican Republic, and they're like, "Yo, uh, are you available to come play?" And I'm like, what, "What are you, what are you talking about? Like, available to come play? Like, I'm in school right now. Like, it's the spring semester. Now, mind you, since I went to Seton Hall for five years and summer school, we always had to do summer school, you know." Uh, so we, our credits were like, by the time I got to my fifth year, spring semester, I was literally, I literally had one class and okay. it wasn't even, I didn't even need it. Like it wasn't even a class that I needed. You know what I mean? Like okay. it was just, I just had a class because you have to be enrolled in the class. Right. So they called me like, so you're available to play. I'm like, what are you guys talking about play? And then like, um, so I got called by this team in, in Santiago, Santiago Dominican Republic to come play. I literally just like okay. It was literally just like that. It was, that, it was such a spur of the moment decision. I was like, okay, I guess. Here, we'll give you three thousand dollars up front. Just you know, take this plane and come play. And I'm like, all right, cool. Boom. <laughs> got on a flight. Uh, the next day, literally the next day after I got off the flight, I got off the flight. Like I got home, I got there like at eight o'clock at night. The next day we had a game. Like there was no practice. I was just there for like a, a, like half a day. Real Dominican. No way. <laughs> Real Dominican. Like half a day of practice. Like oh yeah, these are our plays. So yeah, here, go out and play. And, uh, yeah, we actually we ended up going on a run. We won, like, the next five, six games. Like, we won three games. To, we got into the playoffs. And then we won, like, the next four games. So we won, like, we won, like on a six-game winning streak once I got there. And we ended up doing a huge run and winning a championship for that team. Wow. I had, that team hadn't won a championship in, like, ten years. And I, I showed up there, and all of a sudden, boom, we won a championship. That's amazing. And it was so fulfilling because, you know, Seton Hall, I didn't win any championships. But you know, high school, I was so and here you, I was so used to winning and winning championships. Seton Hall, I didn't win championships. So when when I won, it was almost like it was like those 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 five years of struggle at Seton Hall. Like I just I was able to enjoy that feeling again that I hadn't enjoyed in such a long time. You know, to win a championship is is the greatest feeling in the world. There's nothing better. And the thing about that is that me being Dominican and having Dominican parents was a huge advantage. Because what happens is most countries you can only uh, bring two imports per team and an import counts as somebody who's not a native of the country. You know what I mean? Most of the times what they do is they bring Americans because Americans are the best players. Um, so, you know, most teams, that's what they do. Me having Dominican parents, I count as a Dominican. Oh. We call them Dominican Yorks 
you know, how you right. say about people from Dominican, uh, Dominicans from New York, Dominican yeah. York or whatever, right? That's, what they, that's That was the name for them. Even if you weren't from New York, they called you Dominican York. Exactly. <laughs> you could be from LA, like, yeah, Dominican York. Not home, right. I'm, I'm from Cali. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, just like anybody in DR, they say they're going to uh, America, where are they going? They're going to New York. Para Nueva York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no matter where you're going, like, you're going to Nueva York. Um, but yeah, so like I got the, you know, so I was blessed. I was like, oh, wow, you can play here as a native. So, not only was I a native, but I was also a hot commodity because I'm a native with American talent. You know what I mean? So that pretty much opened the door for me being able to play in Dominican Republic as long as I wanted, pretty much. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there are always going to be a need for Dominican players who count as Dominicans, so you don't take up a, a roster spot for, for, for uh, import. You count as Dominican and you're an American talent. Um, so yeah, that pretty much opened my eyes. I'm like, oh wow, so I can I can still play pro basketball, and that's what ended up happening. I ended up playing uh, professionally for the next six years, seven years. Something that I didn't think I was going to be able to physically do. It was it was pretty much it extended my career, but what it also did it extended it extended me living in a fantasy world. You know what I mean? You're away from the real world, so you're you're still kind of living that that dream. You know what I mean? That basketball player's lifestyle, very nomadic lifestyle, not really establishing roots, going from town to town. In Dominican Republic, every single town has its own league. The league that I was a native from is in Santiago, but there's other leagues in the capital. You know, Santo Domingo, those places. Puerto Plata, there's leagues everywhere. So you can literally play all year round. After one tournament ends, another tournament starts. So you can play, every tournament usually lasts around two months. So you can literally play there all year round. So that's pretty much what I was doing for six years. I'd end one tournament, then go play somewhere else. But like I said, you, you're, you're still kind of living in a fantasy world because, yeah, sure, I was taking care of business. I had, I had you know, money and things to take care of. But you're, you're still, you know, you're kind of still in that rut where you're not really advancing much. You know what I mean? Sure. I was lucky I got to play because, of, you know, the, the, the Dominican leagues actually did pretty well. And I, I got a couple of contracts. So um, we skipped over the, one, my first contract when I got out of Seton Hall was to go and play in Europe. I went to Slovakia for about uh, two months. I was in Slovakia. And then again in 2014, I did really well. And I, I got a contract to go play in Argentina. Which is one of the top, you know, one of the top leagues in, in, in well, in the world, but in, in South America is definitely the top league. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's one of the top leagues. That's where Manu Ginobili played. All these guys, you know, they come out of Argentina. They're playing the NBA Scola. They all oh. play in that league. I got to play in Argentina for about two months, and that was a beautiful thing. But other than that, I was mostly in the Dominican Republic, and it extended it extended my career because I didn't think I was going to be able to play that long, but. Uh, like I said, it, it was still you're still living in a fantasy world. You're not in the real world. You know what I mean? You still yeah. have that mentality of like, well, you know, maybe, damn, if I play really well, I'll go, you know, get a big contract over here and then do this. But you're you're just at the same time while everybody else is, you know, trying to establish themselves in their twenties, mm-hmm. you're over there still living a fantasy. So it, it was a beautiful thing because I kind of got in a way to live my dream, and uh, it was a great experience because mostly I was living in Dominican Republic, so I got to live in DR as an adult. And it got me in touch with my roots a little bit better. You know what I mean? I, I got, you know, I got better at dancing. Of course, you know, you're going to the clubs. You got to learn how to dance. <laughs> you got to get your, you know, bachata. Oh, my bachata is on point right now. I can't find it. Wasn't, I can't say it was on point before I went out there. <laughs> Something good came out of it. 
Yeah, my Spanish got a lot better. Obviously, I, I wasn't pretty fluent in Spanish, but you know, you, you know, just with practice and being out there and talking, you know, speaking it all the time, you just get a lot better at it, and you just get more connected to your roots. You know what I mean? And 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 this is something that you know, I was lucky. I, I'm blessed that you know, one, I got had an advantage that I was Dominican, that I was able to extend my career as long as I did, which I wasn't expecting. But um, you know, eventually things have to end. So you know, I had you know. Unfortunately, I have a story in my life. Obviously, I got, you know, I got hurt, you know, <laughs> and uh, that kind of cut it short. Because honestly, I still could possibly still play, to be honest. You know, I'm only I'm only 33 years old. I could play until I'm 40, you know what I mean, in Dominican Republic. Because you always can have, they always need big men. They always need talented big men. So that's something that, you know, I'll always be able to do. But it's time to start life, you know. <laughs> All right. So then what's next? Yeah. That's the million dollar question. I think that's that's the thing that everyone goes through every, you know, every day of their life. You're thinking, you know what's next and, and and sometimes people get stuck in, in thinking about the future and thinking about what they want to do instead of you know thinking about the day-to-day steps to nice. accomplish that you know what i mean i know that's the rut that i was in when i first came back uh you know i was i was in a tough place because you know it, it, you know dawned on me it's like oh wow basketball's over um now what you know now, now what am i going to do um i didn't know i had no clue you go through a sense of of grief and of loss because you're like something that was your whole life, you know, pretty much since you're like 14 years old, pretty much younger than that. But when it really became serious for me, so half your life you were doing something half your life. You thought, you know, you were going to be doing this. Right. And then when you, when you, when you lose it, you go through a time of, it is, it's like grief. It's like losing somebody. Wow. You're like, wow. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to deal with. So my, my first year back, I ended up getting my first job, you know, like 29, 30 years old. I never, I never worked before. I worked at a glass factory for like four months. Uh, I worked at Target for a month. I was doing two jobs at the same time. And um, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, this isn't, I mean, I can, you know, obviously, I, I think I can, no, no offense to people who do these jobs. I know I can, I can do better than this. And um, you start thinking about the future. So then I started looking into, you know, becoming a teacher. And um, I did, you know, I, I, I took a couple classes, you know, trying to get my master's and, um, I was going to, you know, try to go the teaching route, but then I kind of, I kind of started realizing, you know, that's, that's not for me. And I don't know if it's because, uh, you know, I've been spoiled a little bit. You live, you know, you live that lifestyle, you know, being free and being able to, you know, move around and do what you need to do. That mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I started realizing maybe nine to five wasn't, you know, something that I wanted to do, you know, mm-hmm. even if it was being a teacher. So, you know, I, I got into coaching, so I, I'm back coaching in my old, in my old high school. And um, I'm, I'm into business now. I'm doing what uh, my father, which, you know, he's always been somebody who's, you know, I'm proud of because he, he came here with nothing, uh, couldn't even speak English. And uh, he's a guy that, you know, always hustled and always made sure that we weren't missing anything. And um, so I've been, I've been working with my dad the last two years. He has a, he has a business. He does uh, taxes. He does multi-services, uh, but he does a bunch of different things. And he's a, he's a real estate broker. You know, he's just a money guy. He's a guy that, that, that you know, takes care of business. And uh, I've been, you know, learning the business from the last two years. And, uh, you know, I'm a real estate agent now, so I've been, you know, selling houses the last year. But even that, to me, that's not something that I look at long term. It's look, I look at more something that's something that, you know, I have on the side. Because one thing about us, and I know people have that those uh, those stereotypes about millennials. It's like right. it's not just about money for us, man. Like we need something that's gonna fulfill us, you know. Yeah. And I, I would say that that's true. You know what I mean? I think it's maybe maybe because we saw our parents, you know, bust their butts for thirty years, you know, look unhappy. You know, <laughs> okay, they worked and they took <laughs> care of your family, but it's like, all right, but what do you want to do? You want to do that? You want to be happy? You know? Yeah. I'd rather be happy. So you know, money's never been anything that I've, I've cared for 
you know. So I'm I'm starting now. I'm doing I'm doing a basketball uh, coaching business. Um, so you know I'm, I'm starting to do that, and uh, you know coaching kids, teaching kids. Uh, basketball has always been something that it never felt like a job to me. It always felt like something that I just you know I could always enjoy and I can look forward to every day. And um, so I'm, I'm I'm doing that now. I mean it's, it's funny you go back to your roots. Obviously, I mean it's kind of cliche, but it's just. I, I just think about life in that way, you know, something that's going to fulfill me, you know, and I think, you know, doing the coaching and, uh, you know, obviously working, still doing, doing stuff with my father and, you know, having that in the background, but just having, you know, having that, being able to pass on, you know, my knowledge and things that, you know, my experiences to young kids has been something fulfilling. You know, I've been, I've been coaching JV for the last three years in my old high school and those three, four months of basketball season are probably the three, happiest months of my of my year you know love it. so I figured you know what why don't I make that my whole life I love that I love the emphasis that you place on finding a sense of purpose and fulfillment yes. yeah it's definitely the best way and when you talk about sharing your insights with the young kids coming up we've talked about your childhood your college life your pro ball life your ups and downs you have such a rich history or story Drawing from that, what is some advice you you have for our current students at Seton Hall? Cherish every day that you're on that campus because there's nothing else like that. For the rest of your life, there's not going to be anything else similar to what you're going through right now. You're never going to be in a situation, again, where there's people that are your age who are pretty much going through the same thing as you, you know, worrying about classes, worrying about little social things and stuff like that, where you're in a community where you guys are just pretty much living in your own bubble. There's nothing else like that. There's no experience like that for the rest of your life. Like for the, after you leave Seen Hall, you're going to probably have jobs. You know, we're going to deal with people with different walks of life at different points of their life. You know what I mean? Being at Seen Hall, being in college, there's no greater experience. I wish every kid can experience that living, living on campus. I, I need you to cherish that, cherish every single day live for every single day uh realize that you have everything at your fingertips every single everything that can help you and make you if you want to be whatever you want to be if you want to be great it's all there and realize that there's never going to be another time in your life where you have those type of things in front of you take advantage of it take advantage of every day go to every event go to that's one thing that i always regret about uh, my thing. i know i was stuck a little bit in my bubble uh because i was a basketball player I wish I could go back and I would have went to every single sporting event. I would have went to every single on-campus event. I would have went to every single thing. If I could do college again, take advantage of those four years, five years, whatever time that you're seeing Hall. take advantage of every single day and just really just, just appreciate the moment, you know, live in the moment. I cherish those years. They were the best years of my life. I couldn't have gone to a better school. I couldn't have gone to a better community. And um, I appreciate every, every, Every moment, every person that, that goes to Seton Hall, we bleed blue forever. That's something that's that's in our blood. You're going to remember that school. You're going to love that school with all your heart. That's how, that's the way I feel about Seton Hall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Living, in, living in the present, soaking up the moment. Great yeah. advice. Yeah. Johnny, it's been so nice reconnecting with you. Absolutely. Thank you for it's being really nice. a proud pirate. Thank you for being yeah. a guest on the show. Thank you for well, celebrating for Hispanic me. Heritage Month with us. It's Absolutely. been so thanks good. For having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really, I'm really honored. I'm really blessed. And just the fact that anyone, you know, thought about me over there at Seton Hall makes me feel good. <laughs> Johnny is one of more than 100,000 alumni who exemplify what great minds can do. 
To learn more about the Seton Hall Hispanic Heritage Month celebration, search for the Unanue Latino Institute homepage at www.shu.edu. If you want to keep up with all of the virtual happenings Seton Hall has to offer to its alumni, visit the Hall Hub. That's www.shu.edu slash Hall Hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends and follow at Seton Hall Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hope you join us for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye podcast. Mm-hmm.